Welcome to podcast number 104 of My Favorite Detective Stories, and I'm your host, John A. Hoda. Today's date is June 23rd, 2020, and today's guest is Barbara Nicholas. Barbara is the number one Amazon and Wall Street Journal best-selling author of the blisteringly original Sidney Parnell crime novels featuring a railway cop and her canine partner. About the series, Jeffrey Deaver promises you'll fall in love with one of the best characters in thriller fiction. And I don't think he's talking about the dog. The series has been optioned for television and has won two Colorado Book Awards and the Daphne du Maurer Award of Excellence. The first book in the series was the Suspense Magazine Best of 2016 selection. Barbara's essays and short stories have appeared in Writer's Digest, Criminal Element, Penguin Random House, and other markets. She also teaches creative writing to veterans at the University of Colorado in Colorado Springs, and Barbara is often seen in the Rocky Mountains where she loves to hike, cave, and drink single malt scotch, although usually not at the same time. It is my pleasure to have Barbara Nicholas on the show today. Welcome to My Favorite Detective Stories. My Favorite Detective Stories features crime fiction writers who discuss their latest books and what makes their fictional detectives tick. Throughout my investigative career spanning five decades, I cannot think of a time that I didn't have a good crime novel on my coffee table or bedstand. We will also talk about their favorite authors as well. On alternating weeks, we are introducing a new podcast, How to Rocket Your P.I. Business, featuring successful private investigators. They offer insights into their careers and advice for those just starting out or for those who are struggling. We will learn from the best. And of course, we cannot finish the show without asking them to share a few of their favorite detective stories and sage marketing tips. As a working investigator, coach, and writer, I hope to bring you inspiration, information, and entertainment in the areas that interest me most. Gather around my campfire as I invite you to listen in. This episode is brought to you by my own crime thriller with a mystery twist, Odessa on the Delaware. A Russian gang enforcer is on a murderous rampage to take over the entire Philadelphia mob scene. A homeless vet doesn't know that he has the proof or that he's next on the list. The stakes are high for this deadly cat and mouse game set on the bleak Philly waterfront of years gone by. FBI agent Marsha O'Shea, a gunslinger from the Miami cartel days, is back in her hometown, quietly finishing out her career, but now is drawn into this case with a secret pushing her doggedly to follow the clues, only to uncover a greater secret that may get her killed in the final showdown. You can buy Odessa from your favorite online retailer. Hi, Barbara. Welcome to the show. Hi, John. Thanks for having me. How's life out there in Colorado these days? It's it's pretty good. I think we're all in an interesting place right now here in the middle of, of isolation for the pandemic. So everybody's got their crazy survival stories. That's for sure. Here in uh, Western Connecticut, as I record this today, uh, May the 8th, 2020, uh, it's a it's a gloomy day and it's supposed to get colder tomorrow. So, uh, yeah, uh, it's a good time to be working on my writing, I'm sure. So uh, speaking of writing, we met at uh, Bausha Khan in uh, Dallas last uh, October 
Uh, you were on one of the panels that I attended and uh, was gracious enough to say that you'd like to be on the podcast when the time was right. And the time is right. So tell me, I, I'm excited about hearing about your writer's journey and how you've gotten um, this series started uh, with uh, uh, Sydney Parnell. And I'd like to hear about the next book that's coming out. So just let me, I'll be a listener like my listeners. Sure. So I think um, we had talked when we first met about kind of how each of us got into this. And um, I, I started out very early. Um, I was three when I informed my mother I was going to be a writer when I grew up. It seemed perfectly reasonable. Um, I had been hospitalized for eye surgery and was getting these good well cards. So I would turn them over to the blank backs and and imitate my mother's cursive writing and um, and then make up stories to go with it. And I my first my first magnum opus was. Um, a story about the South, which my family's from the South, but um, I had read Uncle Tom's Cabin, or actually I'd read a comic book version of that. And and I wanted to write a, a big, important story about important things. And, and so I decided I would write about a woman who, a white woman, because that was what the world I knew. And and she would um, go to the, the slave market, um, an unbelievable thing in our past and um and bring these men and women and children and get them on the underground railroad and um she uh so i so i have this i started out with this lofty goal she she rides out on this beautiful spring day and the wind and the trees and she's on her horse and and she's off to do good works and i then quickly realized that I didn't know what I was doing. I didn't know anything about plantations or um, slaves or the lives of these people. And so when I got to page two, I had her fall off her horse. And I changed the title of the story from um, The Road to Freedom to Trampled by a Horse. (laughs) So that was my introduction to the literary world. Um, And after that, I wisely went off and, and did other things with my life. But I got back to it. Um, after we lost our house in a wildfire, actually. And it was kind of my moment of saying, I am either going to do this now, this, this writing thing, I'm going to try, or I'm going to, I'm, I'm going to give it up. And told and buying all the, the things that you have to have that you don't even think about, like mattresses and sheets and towels and pots and pans. And as I was going through my year of shopping dangerously. I started creating this character of Sydney and um, it was a process, but what was happening in parallel with that was um, my family and and a lot of the families who had lost their homes were having these bizarre symptoms. We were suddenly hypervigilant and kept checking the doors and the windows and we would startle at noises. We were having, Um, I, I quickly realized that what we were all suffering from was something called post-traumatic stress. Mm-hmm. And that led me into learning about veterans um, who are the people we generally uh, most often think of when we think about post-traumatic stress. And that led to my character of Sydney. Um, and it was, that kind of launched me. Well, uh, someone once said one of the best characters in thriller fiction, and that, that quote was attributed to Jeffrey Deaver, 
So uh, you must have done a nice job with uh, Sydney in order to get that kind of an accolade, for sure. Um, I, I've, I've been reading Ambush, the book that you signed for me. Thank you. I appreciate that. And um, I just find uh, Sydney to be wonderful. Um, to Thank be you. To be a character that I want to uh, root for and I care about going forward. But more importantly, going back, because I'm reading Ambush, which I think what was third in the series following. Uh, That's right. Yeah. A little bit out of order there, yeah. <laughs> so um, take me back to the to the first Sydney story and uh, give me a little bit and walk us through up until ambush and then take us to the next one. Sure. So the, the first book, Blood on the Tracks, which was named after a Bob Dylan album, um, in that we, we first meet our character. Uh, she's a railroad cop. And when she came home from Iraq, she decided... Um, she wanted a job where she didn't really have to interact with people. She could kind of be out on the, in the open fields or on the rails and mostly by herself, except for her canine partner, Clyde, who was a military working dog in Iraq. So the two of them are together. Um, they find a woman is found murdered and Sydney is pulled in because the woman worked with um, hobos and were part of that. They were part of that railroad community. And the idea for this book was born when I read a book called Hobo by Eddie Joe Cotton and found out that there are modern day hobos, also known as Cinder Dicks. And that, uh, that launched her character as something sort of in the police procedural genre, but something different. So in this book, um, there's a there's a through line that refers back to Iraq and something that happened there. And actually the book you're reading now, Ambush, resolves that backstory. Mm -hmm. um, but the second book was more of a traditional investigation. There's a home invasion. Um, a young girl is kidnapped and, and Sydney is, is pulled in on the case because her mother, the body of her mother is found on the rail tracks. And, um, and now with the fourth book, Gone to Darkness, I've, I've done something different again. I've pulled her off of the rails. She and Clyde, her canine partner, um, because of their past heroics and because of some, some political inverse major crimes unit, she, she's pulled in as, as the only female homicide detective. And she gets her first case when she finds the body of a young man. He's been tortured and and had these strange symbols carved onto his body, and she finds him on a refrigerated boxcar, and that launches Gone to Darkness. Uh, yes, certainly not light romantic romps, for sure. <laughs> that That's on my next list. <laughs> Someday I'll do that. But, uh, you know, I've got to tell you, uh, just from uh, reading a little bit of Ambush that I've started, uh, it just is... And I will go back, I promise. Uh, I'd like to see the evolution of the characters uh, from the beginning. And uh, just what I see with Sydney, this is a, a much more complicated uh, pro, uh, protagonist than I see in many books. Um, this is somebody that has um, a lot of layers and uh, motivations are not always easy. And with the conflicting um, plot twists, uh, each one is like a Rubik's Cube with how it impacts on her and how she impacts on it. I mean, is that a fair way of saying that, you know, the way you've developed her uh, with your, with your books? Yes. Thanks for saying that, John. I think the push pull between character and plot is what 
always intrigues us as writers and how much we emph emphasis we put on one versus the other. And I have to say the a real inspiration for me with that character was reading the works of Dennis Lehane and, and especially Mystic River, because there the plot is not something, a structure that's imposed on these characters. It's all character driven. The story would not exist if these characters were not the people they are. Um, tortured by their own fears and and um, driven by their own ambitions. And so that was really what was in the back of my mind when I started writing Blood on the Tracks, is I wanted a story that, that could not happen with a different set of characters. And to your point, uh, the arguments, you know, amongst writers and maybe even readers to a lesser extent, I don't, I don't think the readers argue much. They just buy or they don't buy but right um or they'll they'll take a shot at a series and then see uh what if if it resonates with them if that's going to be an investment of their time going forward with both the character and the author so but um, the argument amongst writers i think is is uh you know which which drives which and and it's not the chicken or the egg it's both i mean uh, uh a good plot with a well-fleshed-out character, you know, will hum along and, and it'll keep people turning the pages. Uh, one can't exist without the other. Um, it, they lean on each other very, very tightly. Uh, can you have a well-drawn-out character in, a, in, in, a, in our genre, a plot that doesn't go anywhere? Well, at the end, uh, the, I don't think the reader's going to feel satisfied. So it's really uh, the challenge is, I think, for writers is to bring the character development up to to the quality of what you know the time being spent on plotting out a book if I, if i'm fair to say that would that would you be agreeing agreeing with me i i do i do agree and i think the difficulty is always the balance and and typically in genre fiction whether it's mystery or speculative fiction you tend to have um, outside of romance you, novels you tend to have more emphasis on the plot. So if you have a murder mystery, clearly you have to go through the, the paces of solving that mystery, whatever kind of detective you are. And that's you. There's that lovely ding again. Yeah. Um and and so I you know it was a struggle for me. I I mystery writing was uh, my choice in part because it gave me a structure to hang the characters on. You know, it gave them something to do, um, but trying to fit in enough character development is um, is the struggle in genre fiction. Well, there are uh, uh, brighter minds than me have said a lot of good things about Sydney, so I won't gush anymore. Um, what was the <laughs> what was the genesis about Clyde? How, how did that come about? So that was in and part of my research for um, the post traumatic stress and what the veterans were dealing with. I, um, of course, came across the, the military working dogs and realized that up and up through the Vietnam War, actually, these dogs were destroyed. They were not brought home. And that changed with our more recent wars. Um, you can now adopt uh, a former military working dog or sometimes handlers are reunited with the dogs that they worked with when they were deployed. So that's that's what I wanted to do was give Sydney 
something that someone, someone, something that she could trust, you know, this, this dog would become her partner. She could trust him more than she was um, likely to trust human beings. And so adding him was a really fun element. For sure. And uh, I don't know how to pronounce it because my French, I took Spanish in high school and college, but the Belgian Malinois? Malinois. Belgian Malinois. Yes. First time I've heard it said out loud, so that's why I apologized. That's all right. And, you know, people just call them Mal's, so that makes it easy. Okay. Now, um, and it's a a cousin of the uh, German Shepherd, so... I would say, is that fair to say, a cousin? Yeah, it's they're they're similar, um, but they're they tend to be smaller, and they're also um, super bright. So Belgian Malinois are the dogs preferred by special forces. Um, the dog Cairo was uh, went in with with the SEAL team to capture Osama bin Laden. And um, so that's why I chose that breed for for Clyde. Certainly there are other breeds working overseas with our soldiers and Marines. But the, the mouths are aggressive and they have a strong prey drive, which is critical for being a good military working dog. Yeah, I, I heard that or I read that somewhere, a, a strong prey drive. And I know we're kind of a little off the tracks and I know this is a, a pun in your world. Pun intended, yes. <laughs> uh, what is... What does a good prey dog mean? I mean, just in, in, I think I understand it, but I don't. So I, that's why I'm asking. So a dog with a good prey drive is very focused. They're very motivated to go after whatever they're sent after. They won't be easily distracted um, by whatever else is going on around them. So a lot of times what, what we consider a good family dog is the dog who's more people-oriented, more aware of their surroundings, um, happy to play, and then and then okay to be distracted with their food or something else. And you don't get that in these military working dogs. They they are extremely focused. Okay. Well, it helped me. I, I didn't understand that truly, and I'm glad you explained that to me. Now, uh, the series, was this your first stab at, at writing fiction, or had there been uh, other attempts between... Uh, the girl getting trampled. So, you know, it, it was, story. <laughs> I mean, had, they know, had you known about staying with the girl titles, you know, you would have been, you would have done wonderful. At age. <laughs> yes. If only I'd had a crystal ball. Um, yeah, that's pretty funny. Uh, so I'm sorry. Yes, I did. I wrote, I wrote a book set on a tiny island in the middle of the South Pacific during uh, Pinochet's rise to power in Chile. And uh, got me a great agent and got some attention from New York, but they ultimately decided that American readers would not be interested in that book. It didn't involve Americans. And I put that book aside. I became determined to write something that People couldn't say no to, and what was hot at the time was vampires. Okay, and um, so I, I started a vampire novel, and as my agent said, it it really wasn't a vampire novel. It was a mainstream novel that happened to have vampires in it. Mm. Um, but I did not end up getting that book done, and life happened. Um, and then when I came back, it was with is with the series with Sydney and Clyde. So. Uh... 
in the writing of the series, did you find a rhythm in terms of uh, the balance uh, between life and, and writing? Were you able to, how, how did you handle the juggle with all the things going on? <laughs> Spoken like a true writer, John, that, that eternal struggle for balance. Um, no, I have not managed that well. I took a couple of years to write Blood on the Tracks, and then I entered the world of deadlines, which which is what we want as writers, but I am not a fast writer. So it was it was a real struggle for me. And I ended up cutting 800 pages from the second book because I kept going down um, what I call box canyons. Here in the West, we have box canyons that they look like they're going somewhere and suddenly you're in a dead end. They use that all the time in Westerns, right? You get right. trapped in a box canyon. And, and that's what happened. And Ambush was was a struggle and so has gone to darkness. And I don't want to fall back on any kind of formula in order to write faster. Um, so my approach now is I am trying to plot more upfront so that I don't have the box canyons that hopefully I can see them on the page. And Jeffrey Deaver was a big uh, role model for that because that's his system. He gets everything figured out down to the, to the last detail. And then he writes the book very quickly. Mm. So we'll see how that goes. And uh, I know there's uh, plotters and pantsers. Neither one is a, is a good word uh, because sometimes plotters are called plotters with a DD. <laughs> and pantsers, well, what does that sound like? I would rather use the word outline uh, or discovery writers. Uh, it just it, it feels better for me. I, I, I have to say during this time of the pandemic, whole different meaning are you wearing your pants today or not <laughs> that's true the zoom calls yeah yes i'm sure we're going to have quite a few outtakes of those but uh, <laughs> you know uh i i find and just briefly about me this is your this is your podcast but briefly about me i find as i'm i'm continuing to write that um i really feel strongly about having a uh uh, an outline that follows the story arc of a three act structure or four play, you know, four, four acts, three act structure. But uh, I, once I'm inside my scene, that's where my creativity can take place. So as long as I have the, the basic plot line, plot thread, and I know who my characters are and, you know, when they trot on and when they trot off, uh, what I do in between uh, the opening hook and and how I get the writer, the reader, to want to turn the next uh, page into the next scene um, is is where I'm, some of my creativity comes. But if I start off with a bad premise, with a bad uh, synopsis, I can't make it better during the writing. Honestly, I, I have to have a really good story in my head before I can sit down and write it, and then within that. I don't want to use the word um, constrict, but within the, the feeling of that comfortable sweater or those those nice you know, stonewashed jeans, I can um, I can write uh, within those uh, constrictions and feel that my uh, my creativity is allowed to go. I don't know how you how you approach your scene development scene by scene, but I'd like to hear it. I'd like to hear how you comment on it. 
Well, I think you make a really good point that the fact that that we plot doesn't restrict our creativity and in fact can can open up for that. If we're not worried about where the story is going, we can focus more on, as you say, those the the, the level of the scene or the chapter. And that's that's what I'm attempting now as I'm working on my fifth book. So the you take something like the hero's journey or the three-act structure or the five-act structure or Blake Snyder's beats and and it gives you tent poles, but it but it doesn't tell you what's inside that tent so much or what the fabric of the tent is. And maybe I'm stretching the metaphor a bit here. No, no. But but I agree. I, I think that and I'm hoping. Um, I know Tana French. I, I love her books, and I read in an interview that she does not plot. Um, her books are very character driven, and and that works for her. She's able to just create this premise and and set them on stage and let them figure it out. And and I have done that, but I'm not efficient enough at it to live in in the modern commercial market. So um, so I agree. I think I think trying to find creativity is in, in different areas is a great idea. Well, I think if you pull, you know, peel back some of uh, Tanya's thinking, you probably have a very strong uh, driving uh, internal gyroscope that, you know, does point, you know, the, uh, the characters in a certain direction, you know, it might not be obvious consciously, but I think it's probably there in the background and uh, how she brings them from point A to point B uh, probably has some direction, but maybe she can't even recognize it herself. But uh, that's and it's possible. Yeah, I wish I had a brain that worked that way. Yeah, that would be nice. <laughs> wouldn't it? Yeah. So, um, and so, your agent—are you, you still with the same agent? I am not. No, I am. I am with a new agent. We found each other uh, literally at an elevator and at Thriller Fest. Um, that's so a great story. The real, the real elevator pitch. Oh my God. Yeah, it does happen. Um, and it was thanks to, to Hank Philippi Ryan, a wonderful author. She, she introduced us at the elevator and then wisely bolted. Okay. <laughs> She's no slouch herself. So that was nice. No. So, um, and uh, can you tell me about your, uh, how, how you, how you progress with that uh, agent and how things have turned out since, you know, from the, from the businessy side of the writing. Sure. Yeah. It's been fun. Bob, um, Bob knows New York and the publishing world. He was president of new American library for years before he uh, started his own agency. Um, and so with the first book, he, he sent, he sent the, you know, the query out, partial manuscript out. I'm not sure exactly what he sent. And um, we ended up with with multiple offers. So that was a lot of fun. Came down to a bidding war. And I went with Thomas and Mercer. Um, they were very excited about the book. And I liked the deal they offer. And they have been absolutely wonderful. I'm so happy to hear that. Uh, I know that uh, when I was looking at my K-Lytics uh, for... Uh, genre for female protagonists and sleuths, or female detectives and sleuths, I saw that uh, Thomas and Mercer is well represented at the higher end of uh, the Kindle reads. So uh, it's, you know, that publishing house has done well by its authors, and I think its authors have done well by them. So yes. my kudos to both uh, the good writers that they uh, they bring in into their uh, publishing world and uh, 
um, the, the, what they do for their writers. And I'm happy to hear that's a, that's a positive thing. And it's still a happy marriage. So that's good. And that's, <laughs> I'd like to hear that. So um, where are you in terms of uh, your latest? Uh, are, you, are you finished? Is it in, in editing or where are you? And so the fourth book, um, Gone to Darkness, that we talked about earlier, that comes out June 2nd. And now the fifth book I'm working on is actually a spinoff from a character I introduce in the fourth book. Okay. And and as usual, I'm I'm behind. <laughs> we'll see how it goes. Well, that's uh, but that's that's good that you're you're there and that's it. Our research or rough draft or uh... so I I think I have a plot. We'll see. I'm still heavily researching. All of my books have called for a lot of research, and this one is no exception. Um, in fact, it may even be more research dependent than previous books. And and part of what I'm struggling with now as well is the story is set in Chicago. And my plan had been to spend uh, most of the spring actually in Chicago. My husband's aunt lives there and I was going to stay with her and get to learn the city. And obviously um, that is not possible right now. So I'm dependent on, on travel books and and Google Earth to um, find my way around. So that's just adding another layer of of challenge to this book. So, and, and to your point, uh, I also make it a point to visit the, uh, the location of where I write. Um, all of my books, I've, I can say with all honesty that uh, the travel there was 99.9% geared towards uh, research on the book and that I'm lifting real, real life examples right out of, you know, what's going on in front of my eyes, right. And putting them right into the book. So there's no, there's no question about that, but, um, I ran into a situation where I had to, uh, change a uh, scene from, um, the, uh, uh, geneal genealogical society building to a public library. And, I just felt that it would be bereft without some kind of a description. Don't you know that there was a YouTube video that walked me in off the street and walked me right through that library? <laughs> <laughs> oh, yes. Thank heavens for YouTube and all these resources that we now have at hand. And, and you would think that I, you know, I spent days in that public library in that town. But no, I mean, it was a five-minute YouTube video that walked me from the street in, so it was great. Thank God for that. Hey, <laughs> I only have a few more minutes, and I wanted to uh, – I always do this with my authors, and I always like what, – what, something resonates for me from my reading out of the book. I always like to quote it and ask about it if I could. So um, I will if you don't mind. Um, and this sure. Was, this was the italicized part of Chapter 5 from Ambush. And the quote is attributed to uh, Peter Hayes, a clinical therapist at a VA hospital. Don't be afraid of the ugly in your past, the trauma, the failures and mistakes, the what ifs and what the hell was I thinking, and the times someone broke your heart. They're over and done with, a pile of bones you can use to stand tall. So I hope I did you right with that reading. That was wonderful. Um, 
Yeah, all of my books, I have these these epigrams at the beginning, and sometimes they're from Sydney's journal. Sometimes, um, as in this case, you know, Peter Hayes is one of my characters, and and this is a, a conversation I imagined him having with Sydney. Um, and and the whole purpose of those was to fit in stuff that I was learning, um, especially about the veteran experience that that had no place in the story. And so I came up with this idea to put them at the beginning. And and that particular quote, um, I hope, captures the struggle that people go through as as they try to put aside a trauma and, and not let that trauma dictate their future or dictate who they are. And I teach I teach creative writing to veterans um, at the local university here, and, and it has given me wonderful insight into their struggles and, and their process toward healing. Um, so that's what I was trying to capture there. Oh, and all this time, I thought you were a former Marine. No, I come from a military family, but I did not serve. So uh, one of my first, <laughs> one of the first things I did when I decided Sydney was a Marine was I went to the Marine recruiting office and um, I'm an introvert, like, many of us writers are and and it, it was difficult for me but I walked in and and the room was empty and I'm looking around at all the posters and and um getting really excited about this character and and then this young man walks out and he looks like Hollywood's version of of the um recruiting officer you know he's handsome and tough and stern and and he looks at me and he says ma'am how may I help you and I said I want to learn everything about marines and he looks at me for a minute and he says, well, ma'am, we, we do have an age restriction. <laughs> <laughs> so, yeah, that was one of those moments. <laughs> oh, thank you. Uh, I haven't had a good belly laugh all week. So thank you so much. Oh, good. Thank You're you. more than welcome. That's great. No, but really, you write, you write really well. You, you you, you that that you have these guys and gals in your writer writing writing class out there i'm sure you're getting as much from them as they're getting from you so for real oh absolutely it's so rewarding so barbara how can people get in touch with you if they want to learn a little bit more about barbara nicholas and the sydney parnell series well the best way to get to me or get to me <laughs> reach me is, uh, it's a whole different thing. The best way to get to me is entirely different. The best way to reach me is through my website, www.barbaranicholas.com. Um, and I love to hear from readers. I, um, have heard from a lot of veterans and that's been very rewarding. I've also heard from a lot of railroad people, which has been equally fun. So please reach out for real. All right. Well, I want to thank you very much for coming on the podcast today. I thank you very much for your time. I'm looking forward to all of the series. And hopefully one of these days uh, we can uh, get within six feet and uh, I'll be able to uh, give you a hug and a thank you. So Sounds great, John. Here's, here's to all the best and thanks for having me on. You're welcome. <laughs> Thank you for listening. If you have any comments, please leave them on the website, www.johnp.
johnhoda.com. That's J-O-H-N-H-O-D-A.com. Our guest next week on how to rocket your private investigation business is Brian Willingham. He has been a private investigator since 2001. He founded the Diligencia Group in 2009. In his own words, Brian says, I've been fascinated by Sherlock Holmes, the Hardy Boys, Nancy Drew Mysteries, and Magnum P.I. I took a career aptitude test in ninth grade, which told me that a career that fit me best was private investigator. He writes regularly on his blog and has contributed to a number of industry magazines and publications like Pursuit Magazine, PINow.com, and ACFE Insights for the Association of Certified Fraud Examiners. Thank you, everyone, for listening. If you enjoyed this podcast and would like to hear other great detective stories, please go to the website and click on our podcast page. There you'll find the backlist. Now, you're probably asking, John, what about your own stories? Do you have any? Sure enough, I do. And they are available to you free as a download right to your inbox. I have eight short stories and eight vignettes in a book titled Mugshots, My Favorite Detective Stories. Now, here's my ask. You were either informed, inspired, or entertained by the stories today. Don't be bashful. Share this link with your friends. Better still, go to the iTunes website and leave a review. It's the best way to grow the circle around our community. If you have any questions, please contact me through the website, www.johnhoda.com. J-O-H-N-H-O-D-A.com. Thanks so much. Have a great day.